The Jazz, the Utes, and the Cougars. Three, two. This is real. When it comes to covering the teams you're passionate about, nobody does it better. Yes! This is DJ and PK. Okay. Presented by WCF Insurance. Reminding you to be careful out there. Okay. This is 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome on into the show. Utah Jazz picking up a win last night and then BYU beating in overtime in Boise State. For the Jazz, I think the story of the game was the bench and Quinn Snyder didn't want to talk about it and you'll hear that in the best of the postgame show coming up late in the hour. He got asked, we're not going to divide our team into groups. Okay, well, when the starters were in, they, they built a lead and then the bench came in, end of the first quarter, started the second quarter, gave up a big run. It was like 15-3 to three or something like that. And they fell behind. He put the starters back in, a 10-0 run, and they took the lead. Same thing happened in the second half. Gave up like an 18-1 to run with the bench out there. Rudy came back really quickly. Bogdanovich came back a few minutes later, and the starters righted the ship. They went on a run. They took the lead. They won the game. And Bogdanovich again down the stretch. Big shots. Some were easy, some were difficult. High degree of difficulty on one of them. And they get the win in Minnesota. They're back home for games Friday and Saturday. we got the best of the postgame show coming up. For uh, BYU, coulda, woulda, shoulda there on the road. And really nothing complicated. A few turnovers that they just didn't need to make. Behind-the-back passes in the lane. Unnecessary turnovers going the other way for easy buckets. At a point where I thought they were defending pretty well, too. So giving up the easy bucket really hurt them. Because if they'd been able to get their defense set, they probably would have gotten a stop. They got a lot of stops. And then also they got hurt with a few a few offensive rebounds. And you just think, well, if Yoli Childs was there, or if Gavin Baxter were there, if they were both there... It, you know, would have been, it would have been different. I thought Colby Lee is showing something. And um, he had a good game in Houston. He's from Meridian, so playing at Boise State, that's, that's like going to Utah if you live in Sandy, you know, or from Lehigh to BYU or something like that. All right, DJ and PK, there's the basketball last night. How about a little football? See a show of hands. Who wants a little football right now? Our Pac-12 analyst, Lincoln Kennedy, with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Good. You know, we're at the point now in the Pac-12 season where we wait for the college football rankings to come out. That's a little more interesting than the Pac-12 race. Everybody got ready to watch Utah-UCLA, and that thing was over at halftime, actually probably earlier than that. Are you finding much drama left in the Pac-12, or have you seen two teams pull away, another two teams kind of at the next tier, and then everybody else? Well, the, the drama becomes much to the point where we've been speaking about over the, you know, the course of the season. Um, if Oregon and Utah run the table and they face each other in the Pac-12 championship, which they will, and then it, you know, it turns out to be, you know, whichever way it's decided, whether that Pac-10, that Pac-12 champion gets into the playoff. Now, and the reason why I say the drama is still building is because you still have Alabama there. And listening to the pundits out there, everyone seems to agree that, or seems to think that if Alabama with their backup quarterback goes up and whips up on Auburn that they should be a shoe-in for that fourth spot, conceding that, you know, Georgia loses to LSU and everything else. And so that's the drama within itself. And once again, this year, like we've had ever since the playoff has come out, there's probably going to be somebody who some people deem as worthy to be a playoff-caliber team that's not going to make it. 
So as we go through this, how much weight should be put on winning your conference? Personally, I think it, 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 it speaks you know, it speaks bundles. I mean, but you don't have enough spots. And then until they increase it, we're going to always have this conversation. You know, look, this time of year, unfortunately, it becomes about the money grab. And the reason I say that is because, you know, when LSU and Alabama went at it, that was such a tremendous game with high regard. People were looking for a rematch. And so I honestly think the committee tried to vote LSU and Alabama to stay around it. But now it's lost a little bit of its luster now that two has gone down from, from Alabama. But it, did, it still becomes a money grab in the sense where they want, they want premier teams. And let's face it, the Pac-12, or from a national standard, doesn't have a whole lot of uh, national prestige, if you will, based on the years of the Bulls game. So they'd much rather see two SEC teams in the sense where you have um, an SEC champion, obviously, and then maybe an SEC runner-up, a big brand like Georgia or something like, or Alabama uh, in the in the playoff versus the Big Twelve, uh, Big Ten champion, and possibly you know someone else like last year's champion, Clemson, the ACC champ. They they much rather see that because that's a bigger money grab to them. So some people are going to say, hey, if Alabama beats Auburn and Auburn beat Oregon, why should the Pac-12 be in? What would well, you say because look at the situation. I mean, if Alabama, if Alabama beats Auburn, they're not even going to win their conference. And so when you talk about versus a conference champion who's, you know, yeah, they lost, uh, Oregon lost to Auburn, but it wasn't, it wasn't like they were blown up. It was basically the last drive of the game. If you hold such Auburn in such high regard, then you should consider a champion that's won its conference over the fact that, you know, the, over someone else who's just by namesake this year, not as strong as they've been in the past. It's Alabama. I get it, but it's not Alabama old. So I don't think that we have to go off of past um, uh, achievements. We should be going off of what they hear now. And I think Oregon and Utah are both better teams than Alabama. You look at since the SC loss for the Utes, and they had just been pulverizing everyone. The only one that came close was Washington, five points. That was a late touchdown to make the margin a little closer. But 49-3, to 35-0, 21-3, I'm wondering, my thought for you, is that actually working against the Pac-12? Because before I go up to the stadium on Saturday to cover the game between the Bruins and the Utes, I've got my television on, obviously, and I'm watching a game between uh, Georgia and Auburn that looks like an NFL game in terms of right. there's not a big margin. Then 21 and Auburn comes roaring back and Georgia needs stops. And the final's 21-14. And I'm coming out of there thinking, man, those are two good football teams. And then I have to admit, and I've seen Utah play every game because it's my assignment at work, I have to admit, man, Watching these guys just blow out everybody, and I'm bored out of my mind in the second half in the press box. I think it's a hit against the conference. It'd be almost better if these teams would provide a little bit of competition because I come out with more respect from Georgia and Auburn because it was a hard fought game, hotly contested. Whereas the Utes, man, it's over early. So I'm thinking it might work against them in terms of trying to build this national rep here. Well, it's a dual edged sword. I mean, because you think about it, Ohio State blows out everybody and everyone sits there and, oh my gosh, you're the best team in the country. But the difference is, and, and this, is, this is what I have the biggest issue with, is that there's not enough coverage for the Pac-12 teams. 
the Utahs and the and the Oregons to be able to see on a national standard to be able to compete with the television grabs, say, in Auburn and Georgia. And that's unfortunate because I was in California last weekend and I went to a Dave and Buster's, which is like a sports bar and grill for adults. Yeah. I went to Dave and Buster's and looked up and I saw all these games on all these TVs. I didn't see one Pac-12 game. That's unfortunate. Yeah. No one knows the gems that we have out here. Now, for Utah, they've got what they've got the best defense in, the, in college football. They've got a quarterback and, and a running back tandem that's that should be seen and showcased and highlighted. But no one notices it. That's outside the area, and that's unfortunate. And but but again, like I said with the Ohio State comparison, when Ohio State goes on TV, they seem to be on TV every week, no matter who they are. They're putting up seventy points on somebody. That game gets boring after the first quarter. Right. But yet they still talk about well, you know. You know, they, 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 they dominated their opponents so much. Well, come on. We're talking about Maryland. We're talking about Rutgers. We're talking about another top-heavy conference. The, the only thing we're looking for when it comes to Ohio State, even though they are on TV every week, is we're looking for their game against Penn State and their game against Michigan, which happens to be in the next couple of weeks. It seems like the Pac-12, and they don't probably want to talk about it, but it seems like something's happened behind the scenes with the TV deal because we're seeing more double headers on one network. You know, we saw Washington and Utah on mm-hmm. Fox, followed by right. uh, Oregon at USC, and they got another double header on ABC this weekend. It's USC, UCLA early, and then at five thirty, it's Oregon and Arizona State. But even that has the money grab element because the team the conference needs to have seen, Utah, what do they end up being the conference champ, they're going to play at 8 o'clock at night on FS1, 10 o'clock right. back east. That game's going to go till 1, one thirty in the morning. Although as PK right. points out, Utah may have the thing won by 11.30. But USC, UCLA, it's two teams in the L.A. market, so it's the money grab. So it seems like there are a couple games getting better run, but it still doesn't seem like it's the right teams. Well, I agree with you when you say you get a little bit of better run, but it's also the fact that the season is almost over in the sense where now you have those rivalries, which you expect to be on TV, UCLA, USC. Those are the rivalries that you expect to see on TV. But it is an important game because, look, we know for the most part that Arizona State and Arizona have been spoilers when they're in their backyard. They've done it. You know, Arizona State has done it in the past. So has Arizona. So anything can happen in a game. I still think Oregon handles business when they come down here to Tempe. But for the most part, it is something that's worth watching. To me, it's almost a little too late because now everyone is speculating what's going to happen with all, um, not Auburn, what's going to happen with Alabama with the backup quarterback. Well, they should handle things. They don't even need to play the backup quarterback quarterback with uh, West Carolina, but that's not that's neither here nor there. So uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you ask me. I'm wondering, I brought this up, I was just thinking about it, if the Pac-12 should have some type of stipulation is once the playoff rankings, not the AP and the coaches poll, but the playoff rankings come out, and if you're like in the top seven saying you have a legitimate chance, which obviously Oregon and Utah do, they ought to have some stipulation that no game can start when the sun isn't up. So you get maximum exposure, some some kind of qualification, so they're not starting the Utes at uh, eight o'clock. Uh, right. So ten o'clock in where most of the TVs are in the country this weekend. And so, yeah. and if I was a football fan back there, obviously if I was a Ute fan, but just a football fan, you know, I'd be following it. Hey, hey, what's going on with this team out there? But I mean, we stay up till eleven, twelve, one o'clock. I, I don't know that I want to do that. Come up with some rule that if you're in the 
hunt for the better of the conference, you gotta you, you can't kick off past four o'clock local time. How about that? Well, I like Make that. it happen. I, mean, I like Lincoln. that idea. I definitely like that idea. I mean, look, the way it is for me that when I have the opportunity, I turn on the TV on Saturdays, and the first game I'm looking for is either a Big Ten or an ACC something East game. You know, uh, that starts at twelve, and you get at nine o'clock in the morning. But there should be that mid-afternoon game after those nine o'clock games are over with. You should have Pac-12 being showcased, staggered throughout the day and the premier games. And I think there should be a flexion and TV contracts. But, I mean, that's just wishful thinking on my end. Yeah, really. Lincoln Kennedy joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So the rankings come out, and I didn't think Oklahoma got much of a bump for beating Baylor. I thought there was a decent chance that given a win on the road over a previously undefeated ranked team, that Oklahoma was going to jump over if not Utah, possibly Utah and Oregon, were you surprised they didn't? And does that mean the Big 12's in trouble down the road or no? No, because I think they did it. They did it again, much like they did the SEC, knowing that you know Utah and Oregon are on a collision course that one of them's going to drop out, and that you know Oklahoma's going to handle business, and so they're going to be in a conversation where they might end up finishing either fifth or sixth when it's all said and done, from everything that might happen from the top of top to the bottom. So I agree with you as far as you look at Utah's schedule going forward. Uh, Arizona and Colorado, one is worse than the other, and I'm not sure who's who it is. But the point being that the Utes should win these next two games. Oregon has the tougher of the two. I still expect them to win. But, hey, as I understand, and I got family in Phoenix where I grew up, it's raining in Phoenix now. So when it rains oh, yeah. in Phoenix... Anything goes, man. It is just off the table. So, well, I don't know if it carries over to the weekend, but yeah, it's coming down pretty hard. I'm sitting at home looking at my back door window, and it's coming down pretty hard right now. Right, and I know Saturday, but still, anytime it rains, there's like a four or five day hangover where anything can happen <laughs> in the valley. I mean, I got experience there, right? So, Oregon has the tougher of the two. Still expect them to win both, but with the Devils at home and then the the Civil War, you never really know. So, my my question for you is. If either of these teams lose, it's probably going to be Oregon before the title game. If right. that happens, does that or how much does it screw up the other team's chances of getting in the playoff? Well, because you're going to take in consideration the opponent, if they fall to Arizona State or Oregon State, regardless of the circumstances, the committee is going to look down upon them and say, well, they're not as strong as we thought they are. And they're probably going to fall out of grace, you know, maybe back to – 11 or 12 spot, yeah. something like that. Um, and that's going to hurt Utah's chances because now if Utah goes into the Pac-12 championship and dominates them, they're like, well, you know, we're talking about a team that lost to Arizona State or Oregon State. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what people are going to hold up in conversation. So it does, it, again, it, I, 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 I hold by this, and I think this is the only way that it can actually happen, guys. Both Oregon and Utah have to run the table, meet each other in the Pac-12 championship, give us a great game for them to be able to, the winner to be able to say that they deserve to be in the playoff. It's the only way I think it happens. Either one of those drop, I don't think we get a, I don't think we get a representation so we'll, uh, in the playoff. We'll have time to discuss this in the coming weeks, obviously, but do you think that title game needs to be close and not have one team blow out the other? Not necessarily be close. It's just it, it's it's got to uh, 
let's put it this way. You want to see teams show up and showcase their strengths and talents because you want to say, oh, man, that's a good-looking football team. You remember how you made the reference between Auburn and Georgia, two teams going back yeah. at it? I mean, that's sort of what you want to see, and you don't want it to be totally one-sided and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, they just dominate. They must really be good. You want it to be somewhat, you know, somewhat competitive to where you can make the argument like, well, look, did you see Utah's defense shut down? Justin Herbert is projected to be one of the top five quarterbacks taken. That's the type of conversation that you want to be able to have after the game. So as you watch all of this unfold, are we going to get any could, – could, is there a chance that all this discussion was just a bunch of hot air because there are going to be some upsets down the stretch and this is all going to get scrambled? Or as the gamblers say, is it going to be chalk? The favorites are going to do what they do, and it's all pretty predictable. I would be extremely disappointed if Alabama gets in the playoff. It's just that cut and dry. And to me, I, throughout the season, I said the only team that could have one loss and still make the playoff and not win their conference championship was Alabama. I don't think Alabama deserves to be in a playoff. Not based on past history or anything else, I don't think Alabama deserves to be in a playoff. And that's the one stickler that's going to be in the side of everybody when it comes to time to the playoffs. Yeah, well, they've been the one seed three times, and they were the two seed once, and the one time they were the four seed, and they didn't win their conference, they won it all. Mm-hmm. So they'll probably get the benefit of the doubt, regardless mm-hmm. of what the three of us think. Well, thanks for a few minutes, Lincoln. We appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me. Hope right. everything's well, and I'll see you soon. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Diamond Airport Parking. Don't take the bus tour at the airport parking lot. Diamond Airport Parking offers covered self-parking, covered valet parking, open valet parking, and free 24-7 car-to-curb shuttle service. Diamond Airport Parking since 1922, just off I-80 and Redwood Road. Park, ride, and save at Diamond Airport Parking. Coming up, Riley Jensen, College Football Insider, next with DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5-1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join Hans and Scotty Friday from noon to 3. Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic will be live in studio to discuss an FDA-approved breakthrough and permanent solution for ED with no pills, surgery, or needles. All right, time to talk a little college football. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Riley, good morning. What's going on, fellas? Well, football's looking pretty predictable around these parts right now. The Utes are going to Arizona. And BYU's going to UMass. Utes are favored by 23 now, and BYU's favored by 40 and a half points. Don't forget the hook. And then there's your Aggies playing Boise State at home and eight-point underdogs. You feel like you can pick all three of these games right now without any discussion? Uh, probably. <laughs> I think you probably could. I'm 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 worried about what's going on with Jordan Love and the quarterback situation, and I'm worried about just the fact that the, the Wyoming win was big, but it still didn't feel like it was great offense. Didn't feel like it was something that 
that Utah State has kind of fixed the problems and that they're ready to move forward and, and be the team that we thought they were going to be this year. And so I, I think you could probably predict all three games fairly easily this weekend. So I was told, Riley, you gave a hell of a talk in church a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> That's what you were told? Yeah. Uh, well, I was trying to find your church, and I, you know, I, I knocked on your door, <laughs> and no one was there. So no, I, I we were there. Somebody. I was just peeking through the curtains. <laughs> oh, okay, good, good. I'm glad you were there. <laughs> yeah, I sent the yeah. dog out back. I told the kid, "Don't answer it. Don't answer it." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when they show up with white shirts and a tie, I know it always you, makes I know me you nervous, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, can I just can I just mention something that I that, that I really found? Uh, just I just I was watching Tyler Huntley play uh, in the game on Saturday night, and there was just something that that really hit me that I thought was something that might be interesting to share, and that is he's he's obviously passing at a really really high level, but there was one particular play in this game that I thought was just just a really it was a it was revealing as to how much he's matured as a quarterback and it was a i think it was a third down and 10 or a third and 11 play he was he was near his own goal line he dropped back to pass there's nothing open downfield he throws a swing route out to moss and he completes the ball and i think it was like an eight or a nine yard gain right and and I know that, like, most people are looking at, like, a simple play like that, and they're like, man, why does it – I mean, it's third and 11. Why isn't he throwing past the chains? And the reason why I think it's important to point out this play is is for two reasons. Number one, good quarterbacks don't always throw past the chains to get first downs. They understand that forcing the football can sometimes cause problems as far as turnovers and all those kind of things. But I think there's a little bit – of a psychological edge here that I think takes place that people don't think about. When you throw the ball on a swing route to Moss outside and it's your best player, it's really your best player offensively, not only do you get a completion, he gets a few yards, he got a couple of extra yards for you, but there's a different mindset for offensive linemen when they feel like there was a completion on third down. When an offensive lineman is is blocking and he's doing everything he can to protect a quarterback, there's just a mindset and a feel that's a little bit different when you get a completion and it's just a little bit short of the sticks because they feel like, oh, well, we did our job and he was able to get the pass off and we're doing our job and it's just a matter of time till we break through, right? Then if he just drops back and he throws the ball down the sideline, it's incomplete and they're like, man, here I am. I'm working my trash off here for you and all we're doing is throwing incompletions on third down. There's a different mentality that takes place. The second part of this that I think it was really mature that that Tyler Huntley, because Tyler Huntley did that, is the next play, UCLA jumps off sides and they get a first down. So they got they, they got eight yards or nine yards, I think, on a third and 11, and then UCLA jumps off side and, and, the, and the drive still stays alive. And I just, I, I just wanted to point that out because – that's the type of maturity that you need at the quarterback position to win championships. And that's the type of psychological edge that he's giving to his team right now by completing the what, what defenses are giving him. He is not forcing the ball. And I know 13 touchdowns on the year is not burning the house down on stats, but one interception is. And 
I can't even imagine. I couldn't even draw up a better quarterback for a Kyle Whittingham-led team. It's just really phenomenal how good he's playing. No question about that. So then it begs the question, why has Huntley improved substantially where Love has either stayed the same or regressed? Well, that's really, uh, you know, that's 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 an interesting that's an interesting question, and, and you probably have to go into the psyche of each athlete. But there is something to be said about, you know, I when I, when I speak with athletes, I'm always talking to them about as soon as you think you've arrived, that's when everything falls apart, right? And and when we talk about reading your press clippings and when you get excited about the prospects that maybe you're going to be in the NFL, it's natural to let down a little bit. Nobody has been saying that about Tyler Huntley. If if we were to rewind and listen to any of the radio shows from before the season started, um, most of us were saying he's probably the third best quarterback in the state. And so it's a little bit easier to be motivated when nobody's talking about you, when nobody is giving you a chance to be a good quarterback. And then I think combined with the fact that Andy Ludwig came in, and man, I mean, Tyler's eyes are just in the right place. He He... He is looking like a mature NFL veteran playing the quarterback position, and it's it's really impressive. And I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I would have bet my house on it that he wouldn't be this good this year. If you would have told me at the first of the year that Tyler Huntley would be the best quarterback, I'd be like, what? What kind of bizarre world are you living in? Because I just didn't see this kind of progress. And, you know, you have to credit the University of Utah program. If there's anything that I can say about them, is that you can look around at almost every position and see growth at every position this year where where guys have been developed, where guys are getting the most out of their skill sets. And you don't see that at every university, uh, including here in the state. And, that, you know, that's kind of my measure with coaches is are players improving while they're there? And I can look around at there. I mean, you look at Samson Matua, he's considerably better this year than he was last year. You look around, even Moss is better than what he was last year. And, and then on the defensive side, they've always developed guys. But it's, it's just a real testament to coaching. It's a real testament to guys working hard. You know, Coach Whittingham's been talking about how, how much Tyler's all in. And, and I think that leadership has been the difference in this Utah team and all the other University of Utah teams that have been during the Pac-12 is, is that they've got a quarterback that's playing at a high level. And I think that's how you, you, you have to have a, a quarterback playing at a high level to win the Pac-12 championship. So there's a couple things there. One is that, you know, you get somewhere around, a quarterback gets somewhere around his 10th, 12th, 15th start. You get a full season under your belt. You ought to take off. I think with Tyler, and Kyle talked about this a couple weeks ago, it was clicking in his junior year. And if you go back and you look, you can probably say the first 13 starts, you had one Tyler Huntley, and you've had another Tyler Huntley since then. They started putting up 40-point games last year in October. And so there's a thought that, okay, so he's gone next year, and it's going to take a while, but they can ramp up the next guy along similar lines as Tyler's growth curve. And then there's a youth fan who's thinking, well, maybe it can happen a little faster than that because the other guys in the program have seen how Tyler's prepared and what's worked for him. Can you shorten that learning curve going forward? Well, I think you can, depending on how experienced the quarterback is. If it's if it's Shelley next year, you know, then then all of a sudden it's a little bit different story. But if if you're starting a true freshman, and I, I understand they're recruiting some good players, um, there's always going to be a little bit of a ramp up. But man, is, if Andy Ludwig is around, I, I would I would consider the fact that you you can ramp that up a little bit quicker. Um, 
you know, 13 games, 15 games, I, I, I kind of like that theory that that's kind of when you mature in yourself and you, you feel like you've kind of seen all the different defenses and the different looks that people can throw at you, and so you feel more comfortable um, out there on the field. But I do think that you can ramp it up a little bit quicker than 13 games if you have the combination of a kid that is really willing to work and willing to, to put in the time and the energy that it takes to play the quarterback position. And then and the other combination is Andy Ludwig. But, look, as good and as prepared some of, as some of these young quarterbacks are, the, the difference between a really, really solid and good quarterback at the next level and an average quarterback is the amount of time that he watches film, the amount of time that he spends with his coach. And some guys, it just takes a little while for them to learn that. And uh, I think, obviously, Tyler's learned that. And I think that example – to other quarterbacks in the program right now, can 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 Utah can reap some benefits from that in the future. So you're involved in recruiting, and this uh, kid came out on Twitter. This Katravis Marsh, he was a quarterback commit for Utah, and then he put out on Twitter, "I would like to reopen my commitment." No interviews, hashtag respect my decision. So we're pretty late in the game as far as going forward for the signing date. You know, they have two, one coming up next month and then the one in February. And a lot of these kids and people who are involved, like Kyle Whittingham, believe that the first signing period will overtake the second. I think we already saw a little bit of that last year. The February signing date, which used to be a big deal, was not nearly as big. And so that's a trend. So my thought is for you... How much how much more difficult is it now for the Utes to go out and get a quarterback when a kid towards the end of November who has been committed for a while decides that he doesn't want to be committed anymore? Well, normally in the past, um, I think it would be hard to get a quarterback, you know, this late in the game. But right now, I mean, there's always guys that they're keeping warm that they kind of like, and. The pecking order right now is a little bit different than what it's been for Utah. I mean, this this is a team that, for what it looks like right now, they're going to the Pac-12 championship game, and they have as good a chance to win it as anybody and go to the playoffs. And so now, if you're talking about a big-time recruit that's already committed somewhere else, and you come knocking on their door, and they're looking at their mid- to lower-level Pac-12 team or a Mountain West Conference team that they're committed to, you know, they they might be going, well, you know, let's sit down and go to lunch. You know, I might be interested in this. And I think because Tyler Huntley has played so well, because this team is really becoming, you know, it's interesting because they're such a hard running team and they, and they, and they've really established that that's their mindset and that that's their personality. But the passes this year have been surgical. I mean, there's plenty of highlights to show of Tyler Huntley making big time throws. I mean, just last game, like one of the throws that he made where he throws it to his tight end over a linebacker and in between a safety and it's, you know, a touchdown pass. And then later in the game, it's the exact same throw and it's a 25-yard gain. I mean, there's all kinds of highlights that, that give you that, that good feeling as a quarterback. Like, yeah, maybe I won't throw as much, but I'm going to get a ton of big highlights. Because every game, there's highlights of Tyler Huntley, whether he throws for 150 or 350. So I think... I think normally it might might have been a little bit hard for them to go out and find someone this late game. I, I don't think that's true this year. I think they'll find someone, and I think they'll find someone they're really happy with. Plus you got all that uh, transfer portal stuff too. That's true. You know, and I'm – that's one thing that I'm really interested in. Um, 
I'm interested in seeing how that all develops. I think this early signing date and I think the transfer portal is, is going to change the landscape of college football going forward over the next five years as coaches figure out what it means, how it can work for them, how they can use it to their advantage, and, and how it can be a disadvantage. And so, you know, they're, they're all learning on the fly here, and I think there's going to be some guy that figures it out, and they're going to be like, oh, we need to replicate that. Like, we need to go out and we need to get a senior grad transfer quarterback every year, regardless of whether he starts, because then we have a high-quality backup quarterback. Or it's, you know, to get depth on the offensive line, we need to, we need to chew up any offensive lineman that we can. And uh, I guarantee you they're looking at it, and they got somebody trying to figure out the metrics of it and how many they can sign and what what is advantageous to them. And so I'm I'm personally watching that very closely because the, the portal is just going to get bigger and bigger. And um, depending, you know, I, I had one Division One coach talk to me, I guess it wasn't last year, but two years ago at the All-Poly camp. And there was a particular player from in-state that had signed at USC, and he was a big-time player, and the kid came running up to him and it was the head coach for, for one of the local schools and he was like, hey man, how's it going? And they're talking and they're chewing the fat and everything's like really good and I'm like, man, I go, that kid really likes you and he goes, yeah, you never know. And I go, what do you mean by that? And he goes, you never know if it's going to work out at USC. I'm still recruiting the kid. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he didn't say anything about like, hey, you need to come to our school or you need to do this or you need to do that. He was just asking him how he was doing. Are you enjoying it? Man, you're a really good football player. We wish you all the luck, that kind of stuff. It was just all goodwill stuff, but it was a soft recruit in case that kid ever transferred, you know? And I... I think coaches are going to be doing that more and more. It's just going to be like, well, we got to keep being nice to this kid. We may have lost in the first round. We may win in the second round, and he might be a player for us in the future. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes. Hey, we'll see you guys soon. You guys, you guys are so good at what you do. Thanks for having me on. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Utah Jazz get a win in Minnesota. How did they do it? Well, we'll hear the best of Jazz postgame show and let Quinn Snyder and the players explain. We'll do that next. Stay with us. Big Show, Big show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Are you ready? You guys ready? Tanner Mangum with us. BYU gives Kalani Sitake an extension. Your thoughts? If you watch the video of the team in the locker room afterwards, that's all you need to know about how the team feels about that extension. It's the right move. You keep going. You keep rolling with where you're at. Keep the continuity. Keep the consistency. And now I just hope that the program and the administration can give Kalani the help that he needs. Just like when you sign good players, now you have to have a good game plan of how you're going to use them and how you're going to help them be successful. What resources can you give him to maximize his extension? Turn this up. Catch the Big Show, presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Afternoons from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. A reminder to join us, DJ and PK, Tuesday, November 26th, Murdoch Chevrolet, 2375 South, 625 West, in Woods Cross, right off the freeway. We will be there on Tuesday morning. All right, the Utah Jazz get the win in Minnesota. Gave up a couple of big runs in the first half and the second half when the bench was on the floor, but the starters came in and restored order 
both times. Scotty G now with the best of the postgame show right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz get the victory, 103-95, as we recap last night's Jazz victory over the Minnesota Timberwolves. Jazz get a tremendous performance in the fourth quarter. Five assists in the fourth quarter by uh, Mike Connolly. You got Donovan Mitchell with 11 points in the fourth quarter. Boyan Bogdanovich hitting some big threes. He has nine points in the fourth quarter, and the Jazz pull away and get the eight-point victory. Let's hear from some of the players and coaches, starting with the head coach of the Utah Jazz, Quinn Snyder. Tonight, as far as the game plan, not only with Rudy guarding the perimeter, but the teammate support behind him. Well, Rudy was was terrific in, in you know some situations that are not you know that familiar to him. Um, but he's got he's got a lot of pride. And it's you know playing cat. It's it's different. And even a couple of the threes he had tonight, you know, he's able to move back and he's so big. It's just it's different. He's hard to guard. Um, but Rudy did a really good job. And, you know, the other four guys out there did a much better job containing. So I thought, you know, we were focused. When you look on the offensive side of the ball, that fourth quarter you guys started to get going from three. What did you find there? What did you see there? Well, I I thought, you know, we touched it a little bit tonight about, I I think, you know, the way that we can play. Um, We were able to generate some threes obviously Boyan you know, came up we had two stretches where you know it was tough for us and um, I thought our guys responded when the game got close and obviously you know at the end I thought Mike controlled the game um, you know when he came back in there he just had a presence and kind of did a little bit of everything and uh, I thought he also did a really good job defensively all our guys were you know we did just we contained the ball better and that's not easy I mean, Jeff T gets by everybody and so does Wiggins and they really drive the ball. Not to hammer on the second unit issue, but it, it kind of crept up again. What, what did you see from that unit today? And I guess how do you see them moving forward? Well, the, there, there, there isn't a second unit to me. There's a team. You know, I mean, we're, we're not going to divide our team. You know, that way. Um, in the same way, we don't talk about. You know, it's we're a group, and you know. They're, 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 it's not five guys that are platooning. You know, it's our group, and you know, we we, we, we can be better. You know, but there's other games that the quote unquote first unit isn't as good. And the big thing with that is if you know, certain groups aren't playing well, then the next group that comes in, it's, the next guy's got to you know focus even more. And then when you come back in the game, you want to try to play better. So, um, you know, I, we got to get better at a lot of things. Thought we did some good things tonight. Mike Yanovich, when he's feeling it, is he one of the best you've seen? He, you know, we've really been, you know, adamant, em- emphasizing for him, you know, to, to, to just, you know, when he's got a window to, to, to shoot it. And I think because he can score, because he can drive, um, you know, he feels like he can get by and he can. Um, but I thought his reads tonight, um, were really, really good. He was, he was. I, I thought, it, you know, Covington especially is a, is a heck of a defender, and so is Akogi. And you know, they've got some guys on the wing that can really guard. And he, he was just more aware, I think, of where his defender was. And as a result, um, you know, some shots that they're contested, but I don't think, I don't think that matters to him. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we've talked about guys having their eyes out, and, and that's something that, you know, I, I don't think 
that our group has done on the level that they're capable of. Not because, I mean, we're an unselfish team, um, but it takes some time to, you know, to get connected to each other. And, and we haven't been spaced great. We were spacing better tonight. And, guys were finding each other. Donovan bounced back after kind of a rough outing, and he just seemed to let, let the game come to him a little more. Sometimes even good players have bad games. Right. So um, I think the sign of a you know a really good player is you know that you're able to do what you just said, and you know he was focused. I thought there were a couple of possessions defensively where he was really good. You know he was down, and that's something he's been doing all year. And even if he's not playing well offensively, you know he, he can focus on that, and he did both tonight. That's Quinn Snyder, and uh, I don't want to say he took offense, but you know, wanted to clarify about that second team, saying, hey, it's not the second team, it's the team, and we need to be better as a team. Just don't point out the second teamers. And they did struggle last night. Moutier was uh, minus 24. Uh, even Joe Ingles was uh, minus 12 in the plus minus. That group's got to be better. There's no doubt about it. One guy who did come off the bench and had a nice night last night, 10 points from Jeff Green. He caught up with Kristen Kenny after the game. Offense, uh, we were attacking, got to the free throw line. Uh, we made plays. Uh, I think when we have that mindset coming into games, it uh, it, it gives us a, a bigger gap in, in how we can start the game and how we can you know pace ourselves going through the game. A different night for Cat tonight defensively. What can be said about your team defense and then you know guarding them out on the perimeter? Rudy's job tonight. Yeah, I mean that's Coach Quinn. Um, you know making adjustments um, and that's you know sticking to the strategies that he's that he gave us and uh, you know we came out and executed. In the fourth quarter, the offense started to really click there finding the three what did you notice how did how did you guys start to find that uh, I mean it all started with you know us penetrating the lane uh, and um, you know having eyes out of you know our shooters uh, we have we have shooters and you know, they try to take away one thing which is you know the lob of Rudy and you know it leaves uh, shooters open so um, you know Mike made two great passes uh, to Bojan uh, Donovan made some clutch shots so um, you know that was big time for us lastly that's speaking of the shooters, one of them, like you said, Bogey tonight. Coach was talking about how it's been a concerted effort to find him down the stretch when it matters, and now it's starting to come together. Tonight we saw that. What, what do you think about that? Uh, it's great. Um, you know, Bogey's been doing it all year. Um, you know, he's been shooting lights out. And, uh, you know, we're just, you know, playing team basketball, uh, finding an open man, and we're, you know, trying to execute and knock down a shot. Thanks, Jeff. Mm-hmm. There you go, Jeff Green with Kristen Kenny as the Jazz get the victory 103-95. Take a look at Donovan Mitchell's numbers last night. And again, Mitchell took a lot of shots as he normally does, uh, getting his shots in bulk, but 9 of 24 from the field, but 5 of 10 from the three. Ends up with 26 points on the night and some big moments in the fourth quarter. And uh, he's going to tell you why he started to step up his play. Had a little back and forth with a fan on the front row. Here's Donovan Mitchell addressing the media after the game you know he's he's really locked in you know he was locked in last game too you know obviously but you know at the end of the day you know they're both all-star players you know I think um I got the better from last game but he came back and responded like a competitor would and we knew he would and proud of him coach Q also said that the help behind him was much more locked in as well yeah for sure because it's, it's different when we're the guys sinking over trying to fire but you know when you see it on film we understood and we got guys that comprehended and have knowledge of it so we, we did a good job on the back end protecting them as well looking at that fourth quarter the three ball was flying what was the difference there um just continue attacking and continue to shoot i think that was really what it is and you know Bojan getting off mike you know royce you know all of us just being able to um just be confident and shoot 
conversations there with the fan on the sideline? What, what were those? I don't, uh, I mean, he was just saying something along the lines of, I'm not a good basketball player, you know, and then, you know, I just said, just wait, you know, because, you know, eventually it'll happen. And, you know, um, I've had a few of those. I enjoy it. I, I, I love it. Um, I prefer it, you know, to be honest with you. I think it's just one of those things you just had to have fun within the game. Um, and I thank him because I was kind of struggling, you know, turn the ball over, make, taking bad shots, but getting, out, getting back on defense. But I, I thank that guy because, you know, at that point it was just mental and you just kind of go. You had a tough shooting night the other night, but you came back, hit a lot of clutch wins in the fourth quarter. It's difference yeah. tonight. I'm just continuing to shoot. You know, I think um, there were a few shots last game I, I didn't, I could wish I could have back for sure, but this time it's just continuing to shoot, be aggressive. You know, I think last year what I would have done probably is kind of second guess myself and not really, you know, shoot as much this game, but continue to be aggressive. You know, I don't, not shying away from it. And it helps when you have guys that, you know, like Boyan and, and, and Mike and Jeff and, and everybody just saying, keep shooting, you know, not really kind of saying, like, look for me, like, you keep telling me to be, keep being aggressive. You know, I think that's what really helps. Closest you've has gotten recently to playing as well as he wants you guys to offensively. What was kind of the difference? Um, moving the ball, getting stops and running. You know, I think with Jeff at the five, we were able to kind of run the floor. You know, he was able to attack. You got to respect that. Then you kick the ball out. And now we got guys that can shoot, can drive. And, you know, Royce running the floor. He's been doing a great job of that. Uh, even George coming in, doing his thing. Like, I think just continue to push the ball and push the pace and move, and move the ball. So there you go, your Jazz recap. Jeff Green, Donovan Mitchell, Quinn Snyder. Jazz back in action coming up tomorrow as, boy, this doesn't sound right to say, the lowly Golden State Warriors roll into town. That game coming up on Friday. Uh, And remember, get your tickets. Go to utahjazz.com. And we may be giving away some tickets as well coming up over the next couple days. That's your Jazz recap. Remember, Jazz pregame show begins at 6. Tip off at 7. Jazz basketball right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Utah Jazz get the win. We will have more on that tonight in the NBA and BYU losing overtime at Boise State. We'll do all that next in What is Trending. Stay with us.